Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Yeah, so listen, we're going to turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We continue our series, uh, Citizens of the Kingdom. Um, we got a lot happening in the Hall household this week. Uh, uh, well, we've, Tam and I have walked with you guys for 14 years um, as a pastor of this church and seen you guys go through all your seasons of life, seeing you guys have your emptiness coming. Uh, this week, our youngest, Caden, is going to be moving out uh, to go to San Diego. Uh, his incredible opportunity. Uh, we're so proud of him. He's going to be working with uh, a really great cro- CrossFit um, organization, Invictus, working full-time there. So when you see Caden, he's been uh, in our kids' ministry, well, since he was three, because he had to be, but he's been serving in there since he was 13. And uh, where's my son at? There he is right there. So we love you, buddy. Super proud of you. So be praying for us. This is the first time Tammy and I will have an empty nest. Uh, I know some of you are thinking, like, they do move back. Um, and so I want to say, don't put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. But um, so anyway, so it's a good time for us. And uh, obviously it's a, a, you know, a new season for us. So be praying for us and uh, our son, 18, moving to San Diego. So with that, Matthew chapter 6, we're talking about worry today. And Jesus giving us permission to be the kind of people that follow him, that absolutely have our trust completely in him. Uh, Jesus tells us this statement, do not be anxious about your life. We would say that is easier said than done, correct? But we're going to learn today on why Jesus said that we should be those men and women of faith that would not have uh, a heart that is overwhelmed with anxiety or worry over the temporary things of this life. Jesus said this in verse 25, chapter 6, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Of which, in which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, they, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, or the unbelievers seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." So when Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life, again, it is sort of easier said than done. Uh, what, what he's talking through in the Sermon on the Mount is really this concept that, uh, that if Jesus is the king of our life, we talk about being citizens of the kingdom. If he's the king of our life, that means that he's ruling and reigning in our hearts. 
And what happens is our lives begin to change. There's a, a shifting that takes place, and this is part of that discipleship process. As he challenges the thought of worrying and being concerned completely about this life, or as we talked about last Saturday night, uh, uh, treasuring the treasures of this world instead of eternal things and thinking about living for eternal reasons, there's a shift that happens. Our, our primary focus in life begins to shift away from the material things of this life, the temporary treasures of this life, to eternal things. And by the way, they're superior things. In chapter 6, we learned how to pray with an eternal kind of mindset. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We learned last week about this idea of, uh, of what we value in this life. Are we treasuring the things that rust and moth and, and thieves can take away from us? Or is our treasure in heaven where we're going to spend eternity with God? And then what occupies our time and our mental energy when we think about this idea of being anxious about this life? So now the ask Jesus says is literally in the Greek, it's stop worrying about your life. Stop being anxious about your life. There's a lot of things to be anxious in this you know, time that we live in, right? You think about like political uh, instability in our country, in our world. Uh, we worry about money. Will there be enough money when we retire? Will we have enough, you know, uh, saved up? <clears throat> we worry about our future. What's going to happen, you know, in the next 10, 15 years? Uh, maybe you worry about your children and your families. Uh, there's a lot that we should be concerned about. Or even just our health, right? Have you ever just, don't do this. If you stub your toe and you like Google like, oh, I just stubbed my big toe and WebMD pops up and it's like, big toe or little toe? And you're like, Little toe, it's like, get your house in order, you have 24 hours to live. There's a lot of things we get worried about over life. Like, man, there's so much that we can worry about. Think about this this morning. What, what is the biggest thing in your life that causes anxiety? Like, anxiousness, you worry about it, and it sort of seizes you right now and today and hinders you from moving forward and kind of takes away all your trust in God. What is that for you this morning? Is it your family? Is it your finances? Is it something that is, you know, in your life that causes you so much uh, anxiety? I would imagine that the majority of the things that we worry about, they won't matter in 100 years. It's not going to make a difference in eternity. And that's really what Jesus is dealing with here in this passage, is this concept about living for eternal things. He says, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? He raises our perspective and what's really important in life. And that's my prayer for us today, that we leave this morning with a higher perspective. We think about our life as this tiny little blip on a, on a, a, a if you think about a line that goes a mile long, we're at one tiny little dash in that line uh, living out here on earth, and the rest of it's for eternity. You think about the majority of what you stress over, is it, is it matter in 100 years? He says, lift our perspective up. That's where the rich man in Luke's gospel, chapter 12, he failed so miserably because he only thought about this life. And Jesus, as he talked about, like, wow, you've got so much stuff, you should build bigger barns, and you should, you know, you're going to just eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus said, you fool, tonight, this very night, your soul will be required of you, and then who's going to get all this stuff? And then Jesus says, he is a fool who is rich in this life and does not have a rich relationship with God. See, eternal things really matter, and that's what is important here. Most of what we worry about also, by the way, it never comes to pass. 
You worry about something and like, oh, that never happened. And yet it took so much away from us. Now when Jesus says this, the statement, therefore, I tell you, uh, anytime you see therefore in your Bible, it means it's connected to a previous statement or section of scripture. In this case, it's connected to the, what Jesus challenges, this notion that, that don't be the kind of person any longer as a citizen of heaven, your treasure now belongs uh, in heaven. And don't allow yourself to treasure the treasures of this world. Don't allow your life to be so caught up in the things that literally you're gonna leave behind when you die and you take your last breath or someone's going to steal. He just told us to store up treasures in heaven in chapter 6, verse 19 through 24, and it's connected here. Living for the treasures of this world, he would say, is a bad investment because you leave it behind and it decays and it can be stolen. So store up treasures in heaven. You send it ahead, as we talked about last uh, Saturday night. Uh, money, literally spending your money on kingdom kinds of things. Uh, helping those who are in need, giving to your church, supporting missions around the world is literally storing up your treasures in heaven. Even Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6, a passage we read last week, and I, and I want to be mindful that only five of you heard. <laughs> did anyone come Sunday morning because we didn't have church on Sunday morning? Don't be embarrassed if you did. My brother called me like, hey man, there's protesters outside and there's no church. I'm like, tell them they did a good job. They shut us down. <laughs> Anyone else? Lisa, I saw that hand. Don't be ashamed. <laughs> that means you have a life and you haven't been looking at Instagram all of last week. <laughs> we read this passage. It's, uh, Paul says, Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world. By the way, if you drove here today, you're included as rich in this world. If you have hot water in your house, you're included as being rich in this world. He says, not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, notice he says, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Paul says, enjoy what God has given you, your, your finances and your resources enjoy it share it don't worship it and certainly don't treasure it citizens of the kingdom as we learned in Matthew 6 they began to pray uh, your kingdom come and that kingdom praying leads to kingdom giving and now to kingdom living eternal things as this passage is screaming at us eternal things deserve way more attention in our lives than we actually give it and especially earthly things. He's not saying don't think about or care about your clothes, right? Don't think about food. Don't think about your job or your monetary issues, right? Retirement and, and investments. What he's saying is don't worry. Don't be obsessed. Don't live your life so focused on those things that you actually don't begin to move in a direction of building an eternal foundation and a solid relationship with God. Why did Jesus tell us, don't worry or stop worrying about your life? He gives us good reasons. If you're taking some notes this morning, you can jot it down. The first little section in verse 25 following, he says, here's a reason why you shouldn't worry about your life, because God promises he will take care of us. That should give us peace this morning. You're wondering about what's going to happen in the future. God says, don't worry about the future. It's all right to plan, but don't stress about it and worry about it. Right now, learn to trust in God because he's going to provide for you. 
And he argues with nature. He says, look around. He takes care of the birds. He takes care of the flowers of the field. How much more will he take care of us? Uh, Birds don't worry, right? You don't see a bird out like walking, pacing, you know, stressing out. They work. And we don't see like birds on top of a, you know, a pole with their mouth just open going, I'm just going to trust my heavenly father. And he like drops worms in their mouth. That's not what happens, right? They work, but they don't worry. Uh, What's that statement? The early bird, what? Gets the worm. Have you, maybe you've heard a second statement that's like it. The second mouse gets the cheese. Think about that. (laughs) You got to work. Paul said, if you don't work, that person shouldn't eat. As the Thessalonians, or as there were some lazy people amongst them going like, oh, I'm just going to trust God, man, and you know, God's going to take care of me. And Paul says, listen, you're worse than an unbeliever. If that man who's saying those things doesn't work, isn't going out to provide for his family, he doesn't deserve to eat. Stop giving him you know, Chick-fil-A and whatever Christians were doing back then. In verse 28, he says, not just the birds, but the flowers of the field. They don't toil. You don't see them out there working, you know, uh, hard to, to look beautiful and pretty. They don't sew. They don't work to be clothed. And then he, he, he goes back to Solomon, who was the wealthiest among the kings of Israel, that he was, uh, I don't know what that fly came from. Did you guys see that? It was like almost a Mr. Miyagi moment just there. I almost caught it. There he is again. You guys don't know this, but I can see four squirrels running across the field right now at the same time. What are we talking about? (laughs) Lazy people. Now we're talking about Solomon. There we go. Even in all his wealth, he wasn't, he didn't have the, the, the beauty and the display that these flowers that grow in our life today, the next day they die and they're thrown into the oven. So he says, guys, look at the birds. Look at the flowers of the field. Your father feeds them. God clothes them. And he attaches this, this idea of the, the sort of greater than, less than situation. Your value to God is so much greater than all of creation. The fact that you are the recipient of the the love of God that would send his own son to this earth to personally absorb the wrath of almighty God that your sin and my sin deserved ought to be enough for you and I to say, God's going to take care of me. God's going to provide for me. I love that Jesus says that Will he not much more? Think about your worth in his eyes. What's that, that, that uh, John three sixteen? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He says loved not because he no longer loves us. It's a past tense kind of a situation. It's that there is no other display in this world that could ever match what Christ did on the cross for us. So that becomes the high standard of deciding, does God love me or not? Well, he proved it. In Romans 5, 8, Paul says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So if Christ died for me, why would I not think that he would provide food, clothing, jobs, future, marriage? He's already provided the greatest need I have. And see, that's this argument. It's like, here's why you shouldn't be anxious about your life. Because God loves you And God's going to take care of you and meet your needs. He loves and cares for his children. 
I need to remind myself, and so do you, of the great value that God sees you as. And stop worrying about the things that he clearly has promised that he would provide for us in our daily situations. He knows what I need, Jesus said, before we ask. He still invites us to ask for daily bread in the beginning of chapter 6. He loves and cares for what concerns my life. You're a loved person. You'll be taken care of. I love what uh, Peter says to, to a group of Christians that were sort of stressing out over their life. He says, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares for you. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 tells us to stop worrying or worry about nothing and pray about everything. See, that's how you and I sort of practically get into this, this idea of and this sort of lifestyle of becoming a citizen of the kingdom is, God, I'm going to stop being anxious about the temporary things of my life and when that worry pops up, a natural reaction is going to be give it to you because you care for me and Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is worry about nothing and pray about everything. And I'm going to begin to roll these things off. I asked you a few moments ago, what's your biggest stressor right now? What do, you, what do you worry about most in life? When it pops up in your life, your reaction should be, God, I'm going to once again lay this before you, reminding myself that you promised that you love me and you're going to care for me. You're going to meet my needs. When worry creeps in, do that this week. Look at verse 27. Here's another reason why Jesus said stop worrying. I'm 48 next month. I need these real quick. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Here's another reason why Jesus said stop worrying about your life. It's because worrying cannot change a thing. Have you, you don't have a superpower that someone else doesn't have. And you don't get it. When I worry about stuff, that's when God really moves. Really. Worrying subtracts from our life rather than adding anything. He says, which of you? None of you are unique. It's so useless to worry. It's so defeating to worry, isn't it? Ruins our life. I get paralyzed in my life when I begin to worry. Having, you know, you say, what's my biggest worry? My biggest worry is, you know, having two children, you know, living down in San Diego without me checking in on them every five minutes. Where are you at? I'm at Chestnut and Shepherd, Dad. Okay, let me know when you hit knees. <laughs> right? I mean, honestly, the last, I'll be honest, last six months, probably been the greatest challenge of my life in my spiritual life uh, is this idea of, God, I've got to just trust you with my children and allow you to work in their lives. All of you that have your little babies at home, those, the, you know, you can control everything about their life. Oh, this is who you're going to vote for one day. Okay, mom and dad, thank you for that. You can get beat up when you go to college if you start talking like that. Uh, you know, this is who you're going to like. This is who you're not going to like. You know, the boys re re learn real quick that mom's a controller if you start that up. It, it, it's this idea of, God, I, I'm going to just trust you. Because guess what worrying has done for me? Nothing. I mean, moments hours, days that you have stopped progressing in your life. The things that God is asking you to be in charge of, the things you can control. You stop moving and you're missing out on what God has for you because worrying, the literal word means to be pulled in two different directions and you can't move forward. He says, worrying cannot change a thing. It's useless. It's crippling. 
Not only can we not, Jesus said, add time to our lives, but we actually take away time in our life when we worry and we stress, we get distracted by the cares of this life, we start working, stop working on today because we're worried about tomorrow, but how about just stress-related illnesses? Think about all the people that go to the hospital because they're stressed out. Instead of adding to their lives time, it subtracts, Jesus says, even it takes away years. You know, I read this week, every two seconds, seven people die from a stress-related illness. Isn't that crazy? To think about, it's like, oh, I'm just a little stressed. Well, you're gonna die. That's what the stats say. Okay, you made it two seconds. I'll give you that, but it's coming. Corey Ten Boom, who is uh, this amazing uh, follower of Christ and her family in the Netherlands, if you've never read any of her stuff, she wrote a book called The Hiding Place, and it's that her family took in Jews who were being persecuted during uh, World War II in the Netherlands, and she said this about worry. She says, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Isn't that great? Trust God. Worrying cannot change anything. Here's the third reason why Jesus says, stop being anxious about your life. Because when you and I do that, we live like we're unsaved. You go back to the days that you didn't know Jesus. He says, oh, you of little faith. Your faith is small. He says in another place in the section we read that that's exactly what the Gentiles seek after. The unbelievers worry and stress about the temporary things of this life. To worry means that we're not trusting God. And it's the same as if we weren't saved. We're believers. We're here this morning singing songs of praise to God and we're gonna pray. You might say amen. You might receive prayer. But you leave this place when you and I worry, we're essentially practical atheists. We've got theology in our head, but it's not something that anchors our life when we worry and we stress out. Someone's asked me, is worrying a sin? Of course it is. You're not trusting God. You're not believing the promises that he's given to you and I. When I worry, I'm saying to God, I don't trust you. The Sermon on the Mount is teaching me that I need to grow my faith. How do you grow your faith? Well, you grow your faith, Paul says in Romans, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, hearing by the word of the Lord. It's not just that I heard Gordon read some scripture today or I listened to it on the radio or I have it on a Bible app on my phone. It's internalizing God's word and allowing it to marinate in your heart and actually holding on to it and believing it. You also grow your faith when you willingly trust in God. You use your faith. People say, like, hey, I want to get bigger. I want to get stronger. What do I do? Well, you take this vitamin and it's going to work. Or you drink this juice. You know, no, it's not going to work. You got to go to the gym. You got to work out. You got to, like, you know, stress your body out and exercise and your muscles will respond. How do you grow your faith? In the same way. You take a step of faith. I thought that story, and Peter and the disciples, they see Jesus walking on the water. One of the gospels gives us a little insight into the, uh, into the desires of Peter, which is, God, I want to grow and stretch myself. And he said, Lord, if it's you, call me out to walk on the water. And Peter steps out of the boat and begins to walk on water. And then when he looks at all the waves, he stresses out, and he starts to sink. And he says, Lord, save me. And Jesus pulls him up. I'd imagine they walk back to the boat on the water, it says, why did you disbelieve, O oh, you of little faith? 
You know, we could look at Peter and go like, oh, Peter, I would have hung in there. I would have walked on that wave. But he took a step. What's something right now in your life, before we leave this service, that you can go and get some prayer for on the sides of the room at our end of worship and after the service is over? That you can, in your heart this morning, call upon God. Say, God, this very issue, I'm not going to leave here this morning with that gripping my heart. God, I'm going to trust you with it. I'm going to believe you for it. And then you leave believing. Don't be like those that pray for rain and leave the house without an umbrella, right? Does that make sense? (laughs) God, I'm going to take a step of faith. I'm going to trust you for this. When you and I don't trust God, we're basically saying, I'm not a follower of Jesus and I don't believe anything that I've ever read or heard from him. You step out. In verse 31, he says, don't worry because you're gonna be just like the unbelievers when you stress out and you worry. And what it means is that their life is dominated by the temporary things of this life. He says, don't be obsessed with it. Food, the way you look. How shallow do we become when we live for simply food and style, Right? Where you're like, you're, you're, you have conversations with people who are like that. And it's like, like, oh, we ate here and I bought this. And you're like, oh, praise God. I'm glad our kids made the same baseball team. How many games do we have? 490. <laughs> Just in April. Right? He's <laughs> not saying a guy who desires to look sharp or a girl who wants to look pretty or beautiful falls into this category. The concept is it. It's the pursuit of it over a spiritual life. Where that's the entire existence of your being is style and food and temporary things. And you go backwards to verse 24, the treasures of this world that decay and fall apart. That's the issue. Don't look around and go like, oh, that, that's uh, from the 2018 collection, sinner. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about if that's your only pursuit in life, that, that you spend all of your time on your looks and the things of this world and you neglect your soul. Some ought to be a little more concerned, maybe, right, about food and the way they look. Have you heard of an iron? We might say to some people, right? Funyuns is not a health food. It rhymes with maybe something that may be healthy, but it's not. Right? There's nothing wrong with being on trend. By the way, isn't it funny how trends just come back? Did anyone have a members-only jacket? Remember those? It was like, oh, man, I finally, I'm a part of the club, the members-only club. Jordache jeans, anyone remember that? Has anyone my age and had that? Yeah? I mean, some things come back, right? Um, I'm glad some things haven't yet. Do you guys remember Z Cavarici jeans, pants, anyone? Any guys have these? Don't be ashamed right now. Right, this is not like a, a challenge of your manhood or anything like that. But like they, they came up to your sternum. It's like 48 buttons. Do you remember that? Like, what am I, vanilla ice? Dolphin shorts. That's another one I hope that doesn't come back. You know what I mean? It's like, sorry, Dad, you should not be wearing dolphin shorts. So if, if you ever see me running around Fresno in some dolphin shorts, you have my permission just to go to the well because Brad will never be wearing them. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I'm gonna get you know, I'm gonna order him some. He and I are gonna go for a run together and we're gonna put it out on Instagram. 
what he's saying is that citizens of the kingdom, are, it's not to be primary in your life. The stuff that's not going to matter in 100 years. And yet that's the stuff we stress out over. It's the stuff we spend so much energy and time on, right, in our lives. It's not supposed to be that way. Jesus again reminds us, your father knows you need them, so trust him. Here's a fourth and last reason why we shouldn't stress or be anxious about our life. And, and, and this is really the core issue for citizens. Hey, God loves you. He's going to take care of you. Worrying doesn't do anything beneficial in your life, right? That's certainly something that we need to know. Uh, when you worry and stress out, you live like you're a lost person, which you're not this morning if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. But here's the, here's the primary core issue is that we're not to be anxious about our life because our lives have a greater purpose. He says, God's going to take care of you. Now, let me show you why you exist as a citizen of the kingdom. To seek first the kingdom and all his righteousness. That is your greater purpose in life. Jesus is saying, replace worry over the temporary things with living for his kingdom. Where priority in your life and in my life, we put right things first. Eternal things that matter and how that should impact all, every area of our life. In everything we do, we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. It means now we're thinking about eternal things. We're asking God for his purpose for our lives, his will for our lives, and we begin to challenge ourselves, are we living for things that are gonna matter in 100 years? The impact that you're having in this life. Think back last week. Your money, you can't take it with you. You can impact the kingdom of God by supporting kingdom kinds of things. And then what about your life? He says the core issue is to be a man or a woman, a young person or an old person that today is making decisions that impact eternity. To seek first the kingdom. There's a great poem written by C.T. Studd. Wouldn't it be great to have a kid like with that name on your soccer team? Oh, who's that kid that scored 10? Oh, C.T. Studd. He was a great missionary. He said this in a poem. Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. What you need to know this morning is that I don't care how much freaking health food you eat, how much you juice, how much you drink some carrot juice, what beets, whatever you want to do. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna go to your death feeling better than the person who's choosing Funyuns as their health food option. You're still going to die. How's that for a hashtag this morning? Hashtag, pastor said I'm going to die. We can't control the day of our birth. Right? You can't control that. Even though there might be five guys at Campania's this Friday night, there's still 39. And they keep controlling the year that they were born. You're like, nobody believes you, man. I see that hair coloring, and uh, it's not working. I picked on the guys, because certainly no woman would ever lie about their age, right, at Campania's. Not that I would know. I've been married for 26 years, by the way, last week. So give it up for Tammy. And if you do lie about your age there, Stop. You can't control the day of your death. I know we're trying, but we can't. The one thing we can control is what we do in between. Are we living for things that are temporary only? 
Are we living th for things that are eternal? We can control that. Jesus says, make it a worthy pursuit what you're chasing in this life. In Psalm 90, Moses wrote this psalm. He says in verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. That would mean to use it wisely, your time on earth. Don't live for earthly treasures or worry about them. Put God first. And he promises he'll take care of the rest. It means that you and I live by faith and that we will find that he takes care of everything that we could stress over in this life. If he takes care of food and drinks and clothing, guess what? He's also going to take care of where you're going to work, where you're going to live, who you're going to marry, who you're not going to marry. But you put him first. And you see how life begins to sort of fall in place. I love that when I watch a person who's walking by faith. You go like, hey, sorry you stressed out about your life. No, man, I've just been walking with God for all these years. He's been so good to me and faithful to me. I've never had to stress out about my life. What's it look like practically to, uh, to seek first the kingdom? Well, it would begin with our time. By the way, today you've made decision to put God first in your life by showing up at some, uh, you know, some gathering spot around this community to worship God and to give God the first part of your week. Spend some time reading his word and praying with other people and fellowshipping with other people. We, we honor God or we seek first his kingdom with our time. You set aside time to worship and to pray. You're doing that this morning. The church is not seen as optional for a citizen of the kingdom. I know that the lake is calling. I know that, you know, the, 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 the air quality is a little downgraded right now. But you make priority from like September to May. It's not seen as optional as for a citizen of the kingdom. How about daily? Have you, do you set time aside? And this is not a, hey, gee, I want to beat you guys up. I want to challenge every one of us, including myself. Every single day, you have an opportunity to seek first the kingdom with your time. Do you set a little bit of time with God, some time in his word, some time praying, some time praying with your spouse or your family, and, and, and giving God that time? That's what it means to seek first the kingdom. Serving with your time and your gifts. Impacting others' lives for the kingdom of God. That's what it means to seek first the kingdom. Money is a way you and I show that we're seeking first the kingdom. We honor the Lord, as Proverbs 3 says, with our wealth and with the best part of everything that you produce. You give and you're generous with your giving. You give to Support local churches, church planting, missions, helping those who are impoverished and are in desperate need. We, 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 we seek first the kingdom with our choices. Real easy to go, God, this is exactly what I want to do with my life. Would you please bless it? Amen. A citizen now, again, there's a shifting that's taking place. Lord, my life belongs to you. God, we're wanting to make this decision, but Lord, what do you have to say about this? It's okay to put the brakes on a big decision and say, Lord, we really need to have your peace about this. We need to do some praying about this. It is so much more peaceful moving forward in life knowing that you're in the direct center of God's will than to sort of just be like, you know, man, I'm gonna do all this, God, and, you know, I, I give, so leave me alone. That's not the way it works. 
with your choices. Lord, if this is what you want, Lord, if this is your will, your relationships, seeking first the kingdom of God, that our children would feel the impact of the kingdom, that it's primary in our life, that they would know him, that they would hear about him in our homes, and they would see it in our lives, and that everyone that's a part of our life this morning, friends of ours, coworkers, gym mates, whoever, that we would see them as a man or woman made in the very image of God who's dearly loved by God, and that according to Paul, writing to Timothy, he desires that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So to seek first the kingdom means God use me in the relationships that I have because I want to see these people. What matters in 100 years? Where their soul is. Would you agree with that? So whether your kid makes the baseball team or has to ride the bench all season long, who cares in light of eternity? I get it. It's impacting like for a month or a year but the greater things of the kingdom is what matters in our children's life. Have we passed the baton of faith? And in our everyday life, if you're an athlete, honor Jesus. If you're a lawyer, honor Jesus. If you're a, a, a husband or a wife, honor the Lord. To seek first the kingdom means that you love your spouse as God calls you to do in his word. Are you a student? Honor the Lord. That's what it means to seek first the kingdom. And I love it, verse 34. He says, and by the way, just live one day at a time. He's not saying don't plan. He says, just don't stress out about it. Have you noticed that today's got enough garbage to deal with? Right? Just worry about today. Live one day at a time. And, and what we find is what Jesus is saying to us is that he'll repeat his effort to provide for our tomorrow when we make a decision to live in the moment, enjoy it to the fullest, and do our best today to seek first the kingdom. You know that, that poem I read earlier? There's another line to it where he wrote, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I am dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burnt out for thee. You will never, ever have regret stepping into eternity because you devoted more time more energy, more money to kingdom kinds of things. I seriously doubt you and I will regret, oh, I just wish I could have owned that as you step into eternity. Oh, by the way, where the dirt is gold. Oh, I just wish I would have had more gold. Whatever it is that we think we want. You live for eternal things. What steps can we take this week to honor God and seek first his kingdom? That's something for you to wrestle with this morning. What's an area of your life where you need to say, God, I'm no longer going to be anxious about this? Because maybe you're not anxious about your food or your clothing, but maybe you have anxiety over something else. This morning, you could receive prayer on the sides of the room. You could sit quietly as our team leads us in worship. You could say, God, I'm going to roll this off onto you this week and today. You could commit scripture to memories. One of our next steps this week on the next step card. God, I'm going to memorize Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 and own that and understand that that becomes the core issue of my life. It's the primary reason why Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life because there's a greater pursuit for you to chase after, seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. You know, this morning, I want to encourage every one of you that's a follower of Jesus to make his kingdom your high priority in life and find a way to practically work that out today, tomorrow, Tuesday, throughout the rest of this week. 
Maybe you're, you're here this, this morning, you've joined us today, and we, we're talking about like living for eternal things. You think in your own heart of hearts, man, I don't know if I was to die today that I would be go to heaven. If this morning you think that the, 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 the things that you can do, going to church, reading your Bible, trying to sin less, that those are the things that Jesus is after so that he can look at you and say, okay, now they've earned my favor. Now she's earned her way into my, my kingdom. That's not how it works. The Bible says that every one of us is a sinner. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. And the person who, uh, as we describe this, this, this language that is saved, a person that is a child of God, is a man or a woman who's come to that realization that they've sinned and they've dishonored God. And they come to that realization that no amount of good could cancel out their bad. That's why we look back through the corridor of time and we see a perfect Savior hanging naked and beaten and bloodied on a cross where he not only absorbed the wrath of human beings, but the wrath of God as God poured out all that our sin deserved upon his own dear son. Why? So that you could be saved. You could know his forgiveness so that I could go to heaven one day, so you could go to heaven one day and have eternal life now. Maybe this morning, you're ready to make that decision. What do I have to do, Gordon? We need to recognize that you are a sinner and recognize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you personally. We also say, to a person who comes to Jesus, they've got to repent of their sin. It means that they make a break with this world. They're going this direction. Repentance literally means to turn in another direction, to go the opposite way. God, I'm going to go towards you. That's what it means to repent of your sin and then to receive Jesus into your life. Receive the, the forgiveness that Jesus wants to offer you this morning into your life. And if you want that this morning, I'm going to pray a prayer up here and I'm going to encourage you to do the same in your hearts out there. Would you all bow your heads with me now? Father, thank you for your love. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, this morning we are so thankful that you give us permission to leave this place today saying, Lord, thank you that I don't have to stress out. I belong to you. I'm your child. I'm going to live a a carefree life because I'm a, a citizen of heaven, a citizen of the kingdom. Well, Lord, what a what a great witness that is to the world around us. They look at us and they see us not hurrying about and stressed and hassled over the things of this life. Lord, would we uh, be strengthened by your Holy Spirit, Lord, to, to move in that direction, God, to worry less, Lord, to trust you more. Father, I also think of those that have joined us that maybe there might be one, that maybe there are several this morning that they don't know you today. God, they're, they are certain that they don't have a relationship with you, God. Lord, they're not for sure if they were to die this morning that they would spend eternity with you. And God, many of them are trusting in their own religion to do that. Yet your word says it's impossible. Lord, would you speak to their hearts this morning, God, and open their hearts, God, to you. Lord, that they might receive eternal life, receive forgiveness of sins, and begin a brand new relationship with a living God that loves them and wants to care for them as well. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you've joined us this morning and you, you want to say, hey, Gordon, would you pray for me? Today I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. I want you to simply lift up your hand high enough so I can see it. You want Jesus Christ to come into your life. You want your sins forgiven. I want you to lift your hand up and I want you to hold it up in place and I want to pray with you. And we're going to tell God together what you want him to do in your life. Anybody here this morning, you want your sins forgiven. You want 
to begin a relationship with him today by faith. If that's you, you lift your hand up and let me pray for you. Anybody here in this room, you're ready to surrender to the Lord. Maybe you knew him as a kid, you wandered off. Today's Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of your heart and calling you back to him. Anybody here today, you're ready to surrender your life to the Lord. As I'm looking around. Well, Lord, we just want to say thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. We want to say thank you for this incredible life that you've called us to live by faith, Lord. May we, me and my friends here this morning, God, may we live that life where we're seeking first your kingdom, God. Teach us what that means every day in our individual lives. Lord, we love you today, God. We praise you. You're so good to us. Help us to trust you with it. Everything that contains and surrounds our life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand this morning as our team's going to lead us in some songs of worship. I want to encourage you, if you need prayer this morning, I got my friends on each side of the room. They'll be here during this song and even after the service. God bless you. Let's worship.